Yo tengo casi 33 años de ser, de ser forense. Nunca había visto una, una escena así. En Spring 2021, reporter Brian Avelar launched an investigation that began in the depths of a grave dug by a serial killer and ended with the government forcing him and other journalists to flee El Salvador. Sonoro and Revista Factum present Humo. Murder and Silence in El Salvador, the story behind a country where the truth and its citizens' rights are buried under the weight of power. Señor Ministro, ¿dónde está Karen y Eduardo Guerrero? ¿Dónde están mis hijos? Listen to Humo, Murder and Silence in El Salvador, wherever you get your podcasts. How's it going? Good, good. I don't know how up you are on Chicago News. We have a new mayor. We're going to be hosting the... 2024 DNC. Ah, heard. Nice. And then there's another thing, but I will, uh, it works in the end of our streeter story today. So I oh. will bring it up later. Cool. Yeah. You may know about it or not, but yes. Well, welcome to Oh My Lord, Chicago history you never learned in school. And joining me today is Mona. How are you, Mona? Hey, I'm good. Good. Interesting. Remember when we started this, we talked about the, the Bundy family? Oh, yes. And their little standoff. Em and Bundy, Clive and Bundy's son, I believe, is at it again and oh, making wow. news as of last night. So apparently he's got a group of weirdos. I can't, they've got three-letter name, but I can't remember it. But they're really opposed to medical care. And oh. one... And one of his followers had a baby who was underweight. And the pediatrician was concerned. Child and Protective Services came in and brought the baby to the emergency room where the baby was given liquids. I don't know how long the baby was in the hospital for. And then the baby was given back to the parents. But while the baby was in the hospital, Bundy and his crew protested the hospital by blocking the ambulance entrances uh-huh it was bad so the hospital wants to serve him and sue him in a civil case for trespassing oh and they haven't been able to serve him yet and he's getting he feels like he's being pestered by the process servers which is their job and there was a weird letter from the sheriff the deputy sheriff which is this might be more trouble than we're worth and we don't want anybody to get injured. And Eamon Bundy is becoming more and more volatile. So it just reminded me so much of Streeter. If you just become a big enough pain in the ass, people leave you alone and you can do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. I learned that working for an airline. If you throw a temper tantrum, you get what you want. So that you don't rile up 800 other people. Yes. The problem is that at least over here, We've just become a nation of temper tantrum throwers. Yeah. I blame Seinfeld. I blame COVID, but Seinfeld could work too. Yeah. I blame. Yeah. But go, go on. There's an era of comedy. And maybe that's where my little, my little add, add two cents in is that there was an era of comedy in the 90s where all we were doing was complaining about everything. And then that just morphed into a life of complaining and like almost like a civilization of complaining. And yeah. And then also like rules and regulations are being created for people who either don't have comments or who will take complaining to a legal level. Right. And I think that coupled with your your spot on about the comedy, the complaining comedy. What's this about? Which I, by the way, I love Seinfeld, but also of the rise of Starbucks where they will literally turn themselves into pretzels to make sure the customer's happy. Oh. Literally. Yeah. And there were Starbucks across the street from Starbucks is, okay, either you're not caffeinated enough at one Starbucks to go to another one, or you're overly caffeinated. You can't see that there's two Starbucks across the street from each other. Yeah, I so I worked at Starbucks and we would have people come in who would like be like they left one Starbucks and spilled their coffee in the car and we're like, can I get another coffee? Hey. And instead of being like, no, you spilled your coffee. 
it was okay. Oh, a simple client. Yeah. Or, or there's a whole way to game the Starbucks menu. And you know that it's being gamed, that people don't want to pay as much. Really? So, yeah. So instead of ordering like a caramel macchiato, you order, there's just, it has to be a really complex way to, to order things, but there's a way oh. that you can get a more expensive, one of the more expensive drinks at a lesser price. Oh, yeah. And no one's just, oh, I'm going to charge you for the drink you actually ordered. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I worked at Starbucks 2013. This whole customer is always right thing is a little out of hand. Yeah. I can imagine that. Yeah. Grown adults just getting really upset because we didn't have ice in our complimentary ice water. Oh. Because yeah. we, we need the ice for the frozen beverages that we sell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We've been on a short, a long journey to this point where we're at. We're just throwing a temper tantrum and get you your way. But I think COVID is what catapulted it into. People just forgot. A friend, a coworker of mine once said, people have forgotten how to people. Oh. And my mom's like, they sat at home during lockdown and just thought about their grievances. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. People, it's just interesting. That I feel, and I listened to a podcast called Fever Dreams through the Daily Beast, and they've been following the Eamon Bundy thing, and they really do bring up, he still thinks it's the Wild West. Much like our guy Streeter, we're going to see yep. him realize that it's not the Wild West today. Nice. Palmer's vision is basically now a reality on the Gold Coast, except for instead of only attracting the who's who, it is also attracting people with gasp new money. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And nothing that the old aristocracy likes better than nouveau riche. Right. And in 1906, the first upscale multifamily dwellings are complete. So units at the Marshall, which Marshall is like the top multifamily unit dwelling beautiful amenities we would now call them the upscale apartments that they're building throughout chicago it was designed by benjamin marshall hence the name and the rents were four thousand two hundred dollars a year oh which is by today's standards a hundred and forty thousand eight hundred and sixty eight dollars which is 11, a year. No, yes, a yeah. year. So that is monthly $11,739. That's like Prairie and Indiana. It, but I think that they, I think that they, if they've had the same space mm. as they did back then, I'm sure that the apartments are half the size to get half the rent so if you're talking about one twelve hundred was it twelve hundred prairie right over there across from field museum those when i used to drive limo those apartments were nice but i I don't think that they were as big as what you're talking about i'm imagining these were really big apartments yeah but pre-pandemic down on the river on the south branch uh by river city they finished a luxury high-end apartment. The Cooper is what it's called. And they had a little under 1,200 square feet that was going for $5 a square foot. So it is on par with the high-end luxuries. That's, and that's all pre-pandemic. The average for luxury high-end was $5 a square foot and market was $2.50 a square foot. I don't know what it is now, and I'm deliberately not paying attention to real estate and rents in Chicago until things get back to normal in that realm. Gotcha. So I guess it's on par. Just when you hear that that much, you're just like, and they were apartments. They didn't own. And the other thing is a lot of these buildings are now condos. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So like my mom's condo was a two-flat condo. 
She had a big luxury bedroom upstairs with a bathroom and a closet and a door to the outwards to the hallway where she could get her own elevator. Ooh, nice. And then there was, I think, one or two other people shared that area and the laundry room and the trash chute. But then she would come down inside of her apartment, down some lovely stairs, and then there were two another bedrooms, a beautiful, huge kitchen, dining room, living room, and another two bathrooms, one in one of the bedrooms and one off by the entrance. It was like a little house in Highland Park. And that was okay. 6,000 or something. Okay. At yeah. the Burnham building. Not like my little apartment. It was... It was 40 East 9th Street. So it was basically across the street from the park, a, a walk from everything. But it was also tucked away. And it used to be a former YMCA. So that was the top unit, though. She was almost like the penthouse level. Every All the other units on the inside were different combo plates of a studio or a one bedroom. But yeah, just to give an idea. Yeah. So she owned it. It's in my hometown. They converted the YMCA into condos and every floor plan was different and one of them had the original basketball court in the condo oh cool yeah so i know exactly what you're talking about it's like different they're not yeah the boxes that we have now yeah but yeah well this is (laughs) what i said back to streeter back to streeter he the david koresh of chicago remains on his plot of land I love that you said that, David Koresh of Chicago. I was like, this is really is. He's not leaving. Now, in 1907, rowdy behavior by Streeter and his Occupy movement leads to his arrest for, and I quote, wild and riotous conduct. The suspicion was he was selling booze and engaging in other shenanigans that invoked the ire of Francis Willard, who was the president of the Women's Christian Temperance Union. Uh-oh. He's made... That's, that's just the name, the title alone makes me uncomfortable. I know. To this day. It's also worth noting that Willard lives in, in Evanston. Of course he does. Of course. Which brings us to the incident... So we had an incident in Chicago on Saturday. Did you hear about this? No. Everyone and their brother is talking. It's national news. About 300 kids came into the downtown area. They tried to bust their way into Millennium Park, which there's a, I don't know if there's a curfew, but there's checkpoints to keep kids from getting out of Millennium Park because there was an incident last year. And they ran wild throughout the city. You can see pictures of them like climbing on cars, climbing on city buses. Two people were shot. Well, yeah. And it started about eight o'clock. And people have opinions from all over the place. I'm only bringing this up because, of course, it's Evanston. One of the papers, and I'm not sure if it was the Trib or the Sun-Times, ran four letters to the editor about this yesterday. One was from someone who lived in Wilmette. You can be like, it's suburbs. Like, it's our city, but they it, it's their city, too, even though they don't pay taxes or vote. Wilmette? Wilmette is the, probably one of the most expensive pieces of real estate in the whole country. I know. Of course, they're going to have some shit to say. Of course they are. All they do all day. But the other writer lived in, and I'm going to check my notes here, Austin, Texas. Uh, oh, interesting. Yeah, and I've been watching. Uh, it's been a fascinating thing to watch play out on Twitter because people have opinions. They have opinions about the new mayor. They're blaming the new mayor. He, he's not even in, um, inaugurated yet. Oh, nice. Yeah. Some people are blaming Governor Pritzker. No one is blaming the police chief, which we don't have one right now. I don't think he resigned. Or the current mayor. They're all blaming the new mayor and they all have opinions. And it's the end of Chicago. We're a shithole. We should have more police. And then you look at where they live. Very few of them live in Chicago. 
of course this pardon my language, this bitch in Evanston is going to have an opinion about what Captain Streeter does. All right, so just back to Chicago in the early 1900s. Judge Freeman Blake fined him the considerable sum of $150 for behavior more suited for, quoting the judge here, the Wild West than to the well-ordered city of Chicago. Black goes on to say, curious about Captain's uncharacteristic acceptance, he asked, have you nothing to say? Only this, Streeter replied, perhaps this high hat in his hands. I ain't agreeing with you, Judge. Streeter Bill won't never have a chamber of commerce until it has a cabaret. This is a frontier town, and it has to go through its red-blooded youth, a church, and a WCTU branch never grow to town yet. You gotta start with entertainment. He's not wrong. Yeah, he's actually not wrong <laughs> about the entertainment part. After that, Streeter, we're, we're a good 20 years into this scam now, and people are beginning to realize they got scammed. The state creates a fact-finding commission on the fraud and they interview one hotel owner from Indiana who got duped by five figures at the time. But ultimately, because it was just a fact-finding commission, nothing became of it. No action was taken. And then a few of his lot buyers, people who bought the lots, they try suing not the man who frauded them. Frauded a word. Defrauded. Okay. Mm -hmm. They try suing every lakefront resident between Erie and Oak Streets. Nice. Yeah, it's a good move, but it's ultimately an exercise in futility. And then by 1910, reporters and their readers are entertained by Captain Streeter, and they dub him the King of Streeterville. So now he's getting all this media attention. People are amused by him. and. Predictably, you will probably not be shocked to find out he never avoids talking to reporters. <laughs> <laughs> Which is going to be key at the end of the story, that he just tells the reporters whatever he feels like saying, and people take it as fact. Remember the lawyer, the one that he promised to give the $30,000 if he got out of prison? Yeah. Like Donald Trump, Streeter doesn't pay his lawyers either. That's not a good thing. No. Years after, the you call them the Johnny Cochran of our story, he convinces Cook County to auction off 2,750 of Streeter's made-up lots. Mm -hmm. This really confuses me because we've covered some crazy, but this is Theranos level of crazy. <laughs> This is what's happening here. As best I can tell is it's government-sanctioned grifting. And in fact, before the auction, the deputy sheriff tells the crowd that the titles that they're selling don't guarantee any land. Oh, nice. And hundreds of people are at this auction. That said, they sell a total of six lots and the highest price being $12. Yeah, now broke. So Alderman Cullerton, quote-unquote, uses his connections to gain a permit to a store with, that has living quarters attached, which is located at 313 East Chestnut. Oh, yeah. So now Streeter has a grocery store in a very desirable address. With living quarters. His neighbor's obviously not very happy, but it's worth noting that after he set up the shop, he never sells another sham deed. Oh, really? Yeah. It seems that he goes on the straight and narrow. He gets it out of the system, maybe? He gets it out of the system. He's older now. He was, in the last episode, he was in his mid-60s. 
But after 30 years of streeter streetering, his neighbors remain unconvinced. Meanwhile, he's still really popular and people are going to the stores. He's an oddity and people stop by to look at it. Now the city would just make him into a tourist attraction, but different times. Mm -hmm. He attracts the attention of a civil attorney named Everett Guy Ballard. He begins visiting with the captain. The captain's more than happy to talk to him. And like they sit outside on nice days and they have long chats. And he ends up writing Captain Streeter Pioneer. So this is the biography or the autobiography that I told you about, Mm -hmm. which is the one thing they had about Streeter prior to Klatt's book. This is where it gets a little crazy about the book. We know that Streeter is embellishing all of his stories. They're not outright lies, but they are straight up embellishments. And then Ballard, for reasons unclear, embellishes them even more. People like lying, I think. People like lying, but it gets to the point where Streeter sued him to keep the book from being published. The case was settled, and it appears that Ballard rewrote some parts, but there are apparently, according to Klatt, some things accredited to Streeter that Streeter wouldn't have said. Disparaging things about the millionaires. He really admired the millionaires. Like, he wanted to be a millionaire. It's it's like people who admire Elon Musk because he's a billionaire and just because he's a billionaire. Right. And then give him a platform to talk and think everything he says is brilliant just because he's a billionaire. Yeah. When he first bought Twitter, when he first bought it, like October, it became clear early on that he had no idea what he was doing. And someone's, he's brilliant. Do you really think he would spend $44 billion and not have a plan? Here we are all these months later. That dude has no plan. He's just making it up as he goes along. You've got the Elon stands, the the Bitcoin bros, by virtue of being millionaires and billionaires are just people who are going to respect him. Now, I remember thinking Elon was a grifter when his boring company was going to do the tunnel to O'Hare. Do you remember that? Oh, no. The city of Chicago paid Elon's boring company, which does tunnels and then people go in little Tesla or not little go in Tesla's beneath the street to get to where they need to go. It doesn't make any sense. So don't try to make sense of it. And he kind of test rolled it out for the city of Chicago and the aldermen. And one of the aldermen was like, I think he's a grifter. And here's the thing. Game knows game. Oh, by the way, Ed Burke is no longer in, in office. Oh, really? Why? He, he was indicted in 18, early 2019. And he's got a federal trial coming up in the fall. And also he's 75 years old. He's been in office for over 50 years. Oh. I think, yeah, over, yeah, it's over 50 years since the 60s. So it was time, but they were going to make it. There was a proposal to have it be the May 15th, be Alderman Ed Burke Day. Oh, my dad and I were brainstorming ways to celebrate. Do we just extort people all day long? All right. So the streeters are, they're living here. They're running a grocery store and they're getting older. And this is noticeable because uh, Maria, the second wife, her niece, Nani and Nani's husband come out to visit the streeters quite frequently from North Dakota. And it's thought that they're taking care of Streeter. He does convert a vehicle into a a place for people to sleep. And I think he rents it out at some point in time. The Nani part, I wasn't going to include it, but it's important for a plot point later in the story. And then you'll be like, who's Nani? So I'm just going to let you know who Nani is now. <laughs> uh, they're getting older. And Klatt, Klatt says this. He dressed less colorfully now than in his heyday. He either put away his ringmaster style coat and tall hat, or he simply wore them out. He now went about in a secondhand jacket, a bit too large for him, and a common felt hat, looking like just another slender, septuagenarian trying to take life easy. Streeter kept 
another dog, a fox terrier, also named Spot, and Maria unofficially adopted a teenager, Annie. The girl would stay with the couple from time to time, then go off on her own. Sometimes she brought her baby. I want more details about where did this kid come from? How do you unofficially adopt a child? How old was she? And where did she go when she went? And the kid, where was the kid when she... I have a lot of questions and there's no answers. I'm not going to get an answer to the Annie story, but I wanted to include that detail. 1915. We are now almost 30 years into the Streeter story and something happens. William Hale Thompson gets elected as mayor. Do you know a lot about William Hale Thompson? Not at all. Is he the guy with the Thompson Center? No. Oh, okay. That was a governor. William Hale Thompson is, according to uh, a friend of mine who's an author in Chicago, the number one most corrupt politician in the history of Illinois. Oh, wow. Yeah. That that has a rating. has a rating. He was a politician during Prohibition. He was the mayor. And... I don't remember the details. He did wacky things. He was also he was also very Trumpy and how he would I can't remember if he picked a fight with either he picked a fight with some entire nationality of Europeans, not the Americans in the country. He did some crazy things. I will revisit them, but yeah, but he is the most corrupt politician in the history of Illinois. But in 1915 when he's elected, probably to make himself look less shady, He outlaws the sale of alcohol on Sundays. Yes. It goes without saying, most people continue to sell alcohol. They just did it discreetly. But not our guy Streeter. Nope. Streeter throws a party and provides beer to all the beat cops who pass by. And, And listen, I at that point in time, that was how you got protection, was you were good to your beat cops. I don't fault him for that. I just think it's funny. He just flaunts the law. So a few weeks later, Detective Sergeant George Cudmore and two plainclothes cops entered the store and they asked to buy some booze. This is 100% a sting. Oh, yeah. Except our guy Streeter, he knows something's up. And as he's talking to them, he discreetly puts his pistol in his waistband and then goes to grab a bottle for Cudmore. At that time, the sergeant yelled, we got you now, Captain. At which point in time, Streeter takes out his gun. And the three policemen, they're tussling to get the weapon away from Streeter. And Ma rushes in and she grabs a second weapon and she shoots it. Oh my Uh, gosh, the shootout. Oh, yes, yes. Cudmore goes to disarm her and she shoots his shoulder. The two backup officers enter and they hit Streeter in the head with a revolver. This is a shootout. Remember Nani? Yeah. Nani is asleep in the car and almost gets hit by a bullet. Whoa. Maz will not sell the alcohol. Just don't kill us. Arrest us. Just don't kill us. And eventually, there's a shootout. They beat Streeter bloody, which, oh, bloody. And he is now in his 70s. Ma, Streeter, Nani, and her husband are all taken to lockup. And meanwhile, the police predictably loot and plunder the store. Yeah, they loot and plunder the store. They even pour gasoline on his bed, but for some reason do not Whoa. light it on fire. Yeah. That's extra. That's extra. They get released from jail. And then presumably to raise money, Streeter and Ma play a week of vaudeville at the McVickers Theater. As one does. Remember, Streeter didn't like vaudeville. but. He's doing that. He represents himself in court and he is acquitted on his assault charges. 
But right. Yeah, he was acquitted. He, he was like, I'm a good lawyer. Probably also because the cops feed him bloody. I don't know. <clears throat> From Clash, there was no room for a soda pop store near the drive. John Allmandinger and heirs of the Robert Kinsey family of Chicago's pioneer family file a suit to reclaim the small plot of land where the store was located. As a real gale swept gray waves and foam over the boulevard, Judge Merritt Pickney ruled on March 9, 1918, long after anyone really cared that the Cleveland document was a clumsy forgery. He might have added that the streeters, therefore, had no right to remain there, but he did not. So he has the, he doesn't have the right to stay, but no one's telling him to go. Yeah, so he's in a limbo. So that was in March, December 10th, 1918. A handful of cops acting at the request of an owner of Chicago Title and Trust Company. Okay. I know so, Chicago Title. So yeah, Chicago Title and Trust. Th- th- one of their owners asks them to send, send some cops in to evict them. Because the property is just getting more and more valuable. Ma tries to grab an axe, but is easily disarmed. They get the streeters out. And they destroy the building. Level it. Oh. Yeah. So Klatt says, now homeless, they built a bonfire, sat on the ground, and stared at what had been. Streeter had no energy left, and the destruction was final proof Chicago didn't want him anymore. Once he had been a folk hero, now he was an embarrassment. Yeah. And I think it's probably true. Changing times. Yeah. Streeter and Ma retire to a houseboat in East Chicago. Oh, snap. Yeah. Now, I just want to say we're at 1919. It's 10 years after the Burnham plan. And the Burnham plan is coming into existence. And it it was a city, but what I found really interesting is a lot of businessmen, they would close warehouses. I'd be like, this isn't an appropriate place to have a warehouse. This is not a warehouse that had maybe been there forever. And they really worked together and in tandem to do the right thing, to have the Burnham plan be fulfilled in Chicago and in the neighborhoods. Remember William Niles, the other con artist? Yeah. Yeah, he has not given up yet. In September 1920, he informs the American Legion that he's going to lead an attack on the Gold Coast. He goes to the American Legion and says, I'm going to attack the Gold Coast. On September 6th, somewhere on the North Lakefront, he plants a flag and he waits for the Legion to join him so they could go to war. Nobody comes. Oh, man. I know. Nobody joined his cause. And he went home defeated. Living on his houseboat. He was going to rename it. The name is Vamoose or something. We'll get to the name later. But he was going to rename it Ma. But he didn't have the energy to paint it. Like, Streeter's old and tired. At one point in time, he's chopping wood. And he got, uh, he got wood in his eye. And he tried to treat it himself, and he went blind in one eye. Oh, wow. On January 21st, 1921, Streeter dies of pneumonia in his houseboat. Oh. Don't get so sad yet. We've got one last crazy story here. He wanted to be buried in the district of Lake Michigan, basically where the Hancock is now. But the residents are a hard no. Ma needs to get him buried. So she goes to a group called the Grand Army of the Republic, which is a group mm-hmm. of civ- Civil War veterans. Okay, yeah. Remember, 
he was a deserter. But they didn't know he was a deserter because he always made it sound like he was a war hero in the newspapers and no one double-checked. Oh, that's so classic. Yes. I'm just going to tell you, this final thing might be Streeter's greatest fraud. And he was, you think frauds from the grave. They take up his cause of having him have a funeral. And according to Klatt, it was, and I quote, one of the grandest funerals for a common man the city has ever seen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Streeter's final fraud is his funeral, funeral because of course it is. One supporter finds clothes similar to what OG Streeter wore. The ringleader jacket and the hat. Mm -hmm. They put a large hat on his casket. They have this grand funeral. Mayor Thompson, who's still the mayor, and he's the one who authorized the 1915 raid on the store. He leads a 40-car procession from the Gold Coast to the cemetery. The procession consists of union vets and land association members. So the people have been trying to evict Streeter forever are in this procession going up to the cemetery. Even William Anderson, the lawyer that he never paid, attends it. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, really? Yes. I'll be to make sure he was, de- he was dead. He said something like, he didn't pay me. I'm not happy about that, but he wasn't a bad guy. Oh, and you might ask, what cemetery did they bury Streeter in? Any guesses? Roseland? Graceland. Ah, I was going to say that. Oh, of course. For anybody who's not familiar with Chicago or not familiar with Chicago's history and cemeteries, Graceland is where the who's who of Chicago is buried. Yeah. In fact, that's where Potter Palmer is buried in relatively close proximity, that's the word I'm looking for, to Streeter. The best eulogy comes from Chicago Title and Trust president who wrote in a newspaper, the captain's ideas of law were somewhat at variance with that of the preponderant legal opinion, but he was a gallant and able protagonist nonetheless. We shall miss him more than might be imagined. He kept two lawyers and one vice president busy for 21 years. May he rest in peace and find his lost district in some fairer land where the courts cease from troubling and title companies are at rest. Yeah. Like you, you go again. I don't know how to feel about Streeter, but our story is not over because what happens to mom? Oh, yeah. In 1921, Ma, thinking she still has a claim to the land, docks her vote, vamoose is what it was called, at what, oh, cool. she, at what she terms to be Streeter's, Streeter's Slip, which is basically at Grand Avenue and Navy Pier, now called Ogden Slip, and it's a little area. Like where there's there's a pavilion at the end of the pier now, and then there's the park where you would go across the street. It, there's this water there. I'm not explaining this very well, but I know exactly where it's, she's talking about. It's right at the westmost end of Navy Pier on the south side. Okay. She opens up a floating restaurant. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and she's really successful. And really, listen, she's getting business from the pier, which is then called Municipal Pier Number Two. And then somehow a city scow comes loose and it bumps into Vamoose and causes damage. And she's really mad about it. And she claims that the city employer said, let Streeter's boat burn. And after this, she just becomes really bitter with the city and everybody around her and she sues a lot of people 
or tries to. Every lawsuit is more ridiculous. And at one point in time, he named one of Potter Palmer's descendants who was actually a, like either married to or was a princess. She tries to sell stocks, but that gets shut down by the Securities Exchange of Illinois uh, because her backers don't have licenses to sell stocks. I think that's key. It shows the key differences. Now there are regulatory places that don't let you scam. Which yeah. was not what was happening when her and Streeter were doing their thing initially. She sues the city for damaging her boat. For a period of time, trying to reestablish land ownership, she spends the, every day in her houseboat with Streeter's shotgun on her lap. Yeah. We are full-on clampets here. Uh-huh. She finally files a federal case suing the same residents as before, as well as cultural institutions that benefit from the land trust that the rich men put in place all those years ago. Remember, there was going to be a charity component. I assume that this is what the Art Institute and those types of things. On April 20th, 1925, a U.S. judge tells her that she has no claim to the land because she and Streeter were never legally married. Um, How this comes about is, remember Gold Digger Mary? The third wife? Yeah. He went and married presumably a bootlegger and mm -hmm. when they divorced, her ex-husband was like, I don't think we were ever legally married because she never divorced Streeter. But it gets more interesting. There's some speculation that Streeter's first wife, the one who left him for the career in vaudeville. Oh, yeah. Never divorced him. Oh, yeah. This would make Streeter an unknowing polygamist. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, she can't get the land because she was never legally married to Streeter. That was proven true in the Mary case, but I'm going back with the first wife probably just didn't file legal divorce. We've gone from the era where you could move eight miles and start a whole new life and no one knew who you were to actual some sort of record keeping. Apparently, Ma starts drinking. Yeah, and this is something that was never mentioned when Streeter was still alive. I don't think she, like, Maria drank all the time and we knew about it, but it sounds like Ma started drinking later in life. She gets arrested from time to time. She gets taken to the, the jail on Chicago. She can't make her bail of $25. Oh, wow. Yeah. And she dies on October 18th, 1936 as a charity case in the Cook County Hospital and is buried in Indiana. Oh, wow. And that is the story of the Streeters. There's one more thing we're going to talk about, and I'm going to talk about it really loosely because I haven't dug in a lot, but there is, interestingly, a significant movement that is being explored by the Illinois and Chicago Department of Transportation to redefine the drive. Eight, it's eight lanes of highway right now. What they want to do is add some, some more parks, make Oak Street Beach larger, add bus or make some of the lanes bus only, and make it look more what, like what they think Burnham would have wanted it to look like. Which the drive is, oh, and get rid of the aggressive. It'd go from, I think, Grand to North Hollywood and get rid of some of the aggressive curves too. Mm. I think they took nine different proposals in March of 2023. So they've been talking about it for a little bit and I keep seeing people tweet about it. And then I see people be contrarian about it. And I haven't followed it a lot enough to know but 
I find it ironic or poetic that here we are in 2023. We started talking about Streeter in March of 2023, and there's about to possibly be a full-scale discussion about the drive. Oh, yeah. 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 And making it more inviting. Cool. Man, yeah. well, history repeats itself. At Chicago's been Chicagoing since they started Chicago. Hmm. Yeah. I was doing some research on Migsfield, and I can't remember yeah. what governor it was. They talked about him and Mayor Daly and how they mostly got along, except for they had different opinions on it, what to do about the Bears' request for a new stadium and mm-hmm. if Chicago should have a casino. Okay. G- guess what dominates Chicago news cycles these days? That? Well, when it's a sl- where the casino should go and what to do about the Bears wanting to move to Arlington Heights. Dude, Arlington Heights? They bought a racetrack in Arlington Heights. You didn't know this? I know there is a racetrack in Arlington Heights, but who wants to go to a Bears game in Arlington Heights? It's actually easier to get there, I think, than... I know that, but it's not Chicago. I know it's not Chicago. I've thought about this long and hard. And I know I'm going to get some ads, but we are actually one of the only cities that have the stadium in the city. Yeah, so we should be like everybody else then? No, here's the thing. The Bears are going to move to Arlington Heights because they have one of the smallest stadiums in the league. And they don't have a dome. And I know no one's going to, no one wants to go to Arlington Heights to watch a Bears game, but it's, I think it's going to happen and we'll all just get used to it. You can quote me on it. You got F U C K space T H A T space s-h-i-t exclamation point dash mon abermishan all right 320 they announced they were planning on buying the racetrack the very next day the sun times re-ran an article written in the 1970s by mike Rico about the possibility of the bears moving to the suburb of arlington heights mm-hmm. they were talking about it in the 70s yeah. Yeah. They can still kiss my ass. And I, I was born in the 70s and it's 2023 and all the shit that they've done. I'm trust me, I'm a limo driver and it's a bitch to pick anybody up or drop anybody off at that that thing. But I have been somebody that grew up going to the games and my whole family went to the games. We got grandfather tickets. And that is a very special thing. It's like moving the Cubs stadium to like either Wilmette or Palatine. What? No. Just because it's off of 53 and all the old mobsters are still hanging out in Arlington Heights, why don't you move that to Roselle? Like, nobody can even get there. It's that suburban dumbass mindset where, oh, we want it more convenient for us. No. You get on a train, you use your public transportation system like a city goer, and you grow up now. All right. You got any questions? I'm a Chicago kid. I grew up. Like, my one of the things I used to ask my dad, Daddy, will you take me on the train? Enjoying the city is the whole point of the city. If you're trying to suburbanize everything, then just go move to the suburbs and don't go to a Cubs game or a Bears game. Sit at home with your fat belly on a couch and watch it like every other Bears fan. You have any questions? No, I'm clear on what you're talking about. All right, so have to all of that. No, it's For- just they're all, everybody's just trying to suburbanize everything. I want my comfortable little wife because I, cause, no, not, not, okay. Granted, they could use a dome. All right. I'll say mm-hmm. that. Granted, they don't need all those dumbass high rises where half the people either aren't there or they can't afford them anymore. Okay. Granted, they don't need to be taking over some of the South side and being obnoxious with it or going into the water, but we can use creative engineering. We don't have to move everything to the suburbs. But you got to, it's going to be sponsored in part by what? Best Buy and Target. Come on. I'm sorry. I have hard opinions about Chicago. And you, you we tapped, we touched the nerve. We did. I'm less emotional. I'm less emotional, but I've also been following it. It's also really funny because some of the people of Arlington Heights don't want the stadium. Yeah. Arlington it's a, Heights it's, sucks. No offense to all the people who live there. 
as a limo driver who's covered the all the Chicagoland area from right. Forest Park to Kenosha to Lockport. I have covered Frankfurt, Illinois. I've covered all of it. Okay. Yeah. Arlington Heights is easy to get out of, out of, but there's something about the family all get together going to a Bears game. There, there's an energy. There's a vibe there on Roosevelt when you're walking to it. And it just, there's a vibe about the city that they're trying to make into. What are they trying to turn the city into? Not to say that moving the Bears stadium is doing that, but they were tinkering with that when they, what, wasn't it over a decade ago that when they were redoing it, re, like they were all rehabbing the whole stadium. It was well, over. They've been talking about this, like you said, from the 70s. Yeah, it was over a decade ago when they did the, when they made a little space coaster landed on a Coliseum. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody wants us to move Navy Pier, yeah. though. No one's going to move that little bitch, right? Because that's generating stupid amount of money. I'm sure no one wants to move that. To, I don't know. Schomburg. Man, I got hot on that one. You got really hot on that one. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.